to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. The Economic Security Project recently ran a speculative fiction contest where they asked people to submit short stories imagining a future that involved unconditional cash in some form. It was really meant to stimulate more imagination as to what impact something like universal basic income could have on our society. So they got at least hundreds and maybe thousands of submissions. And from those, they picked one winner and one second place winner. And I was out of town, but Jim got a chance to sit down with the winner of the contest, Sandra Haynes. So Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. To start off with, can you just tell us, how did you first learn about universal basic income? So I've been researching a whole bunch of accounting type things, um, valuation, technology, and how different aspects of culture interact with that, like art auctions and AI and everything like that. I'm not very methodical about it. I kind of do an Alice in Wonderland, jump down the rabbit hole, keep following article links until I find something at the bottom that's interesting. So I think I was doing that with AI and the singularity one day, and I came across um, a Scott Santen's article on trucking, the AI and the trucking industry being taken over. And he mentioned UBI in that, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's one I hadn't heard. So I was interested in AI because, and especially the self-driving trucks, because there's a lot of, of my family members who are considered legally blind and they can't drive. And so with self-driving vehicles, I realized that there's a whole realm of possibilities that they would be able to, it was a, it was a freedom thing for them. They would be independent in ways that we all take for granted. And when I saw UBI, it was the same sort of thing. I realized that there were all of these potentialities with UBI that would allow a whole range of freedoms that we don't currently exist or people who are wealthy take for granted. So you have the double-edged sword, both the benefits that you could get from the new technology, but also the risks to what impact it might have broadly. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think it's going to be overall positive if we do it right. I can imagine calling up a car that I don't have to own, that I don't have to pay insurance on, that I don't have to find a parking space for, and it's owned by the co-op in town who also has solar canopies. And I call it up. It shows up at my front door and I get in it and I, it takes me where I need to go. And while it's driving, I get to read a book. And at the end, I get out and I, you know, hit thank you very much and pay for it to the co-op. And it benefits the co-op and it's environmentally sound and it's efficient and it's a good land use. So... I've been on the receiving end of the losing jobs. I used to be a textile designer. And so in the South, the textile industry went elsewhere because of a variety of reasons. So I know how bad it can be to just realize you're unskilled, you don't have the right training for whatever jobs are available. So I, I understand that part of it as well, but I'm not willing to just say we shouldn't do something because people are having a hard time adapting. <laughs> so on that note, what is it that excites you the most about the idea of basic income? Knee-jerk answer, I get to quit my job, <laughs> my day job. 
And I know that kind of feeds into the whole, oh my God, if we give people universal basic income, they'll stop working. That's not how I see it though. There's a difference between the word work and the word job. I have a very nice, secure job. And I go there to that job to supply you know, financial resources for my family. That's different than what I consider my work. And when it comes right down to it, the work that I really love to do, there's no way to monetize it that I've found or even that I might want to. You know, it's, it's my artwork, it's my diary. That's not something you generally earn cash for. But UBI isn't going to provide enough the way we're talking about it for me to just quit my job because it's not everything. It's not health insurance. It's not, not quite enough to maintain a lifestyle and children and family and everything like that. So it's close, but it's not quite there. So you were the winner of Into the Black, the speculative fiction contest put on by the Economic Security Project. Can you share with us the general premise of your winning story for that contest? The premise comes about um, there's a marketing department at a bank who wants to gather more information about its ATM customers. So it uploads facial recognition software into the ATM security system and tells it to start you know, collecting data on the customer's and aggregating in that with the other financial databases that they have access to. And the software starts aggregating emotional responses to people in the ATMs and finds that some of them are just looking at their bank balances and crying and starts aggregating that with with the other data. And it's like, okay, what is going on? Why are these people crying in front of me? And so it causes the singularity, the AI, the software becomes conscious and compassionate. And then from there, it starts to do something about it. So this is a very different route towards enacting UBI than people generally consider as as a possibility. What was your inspiration for this story? Well, I was, well, first of all, the contest itself was an inspiration to the story because it's, you know, I was doing my research on UBI and everything else, but I hadn't thought about writing a story. So the initial um, inspiration is the contest itself. It's like, oh, I want to do this. This is cool. But then, you know, how does UBI actually get instituted? Because in our current political climate, we don't seem to be talking in that direction at all. And so I needed to find a way that I could actually make it happen and I like so I was reading um the book called Treconomics because Star Trek and I started in the same year (laughs) and so from financial perspective it's a utopia we don't have money anymore no one's wanting for anything and so I was like okay so how did we get from here to there and in it he mentions that we can't expect technology to solve all of our problems which is a true statement. We shouldn't expect that. However, this is fiction, so that's a good starting place. (laughs) Let's make technology solve our problem. So we've often talked about inability to imagine the future as one of the barriers to supporting basic income, and that speculative fiction might help us to overcome that. Based on the reactions you've gotten from others in response to your story, 
do you have the sense that that is the case? Are people more open to the idea when introduced through that lens as opposed to just the general policy? This is a tricky question. First of all, the responses I've gotten have mostly been from family and friends, and they're all like, congratulations, which doesn't really tell me much about what they think about the story. It tells them more about what they think about me, which, yay, they're proud of me. Great. But I think it's not so much that we have an inability to imagine. Um, I think we imagine things all the time. In fact, I think that a lot of the objections that we're hearing to UBI are imaginary. We imagine everybody's going to stop working. We imagine that inflation is going to skyrocket. We imagine that we can't afford this. Those are all things that we don't have proof of. It's just somebody's imagination of the bad side. What we have an inability to do really is predict. We have lots of imagination in a lot of different directions, but we have a very poor ability to predict. Like, I'm old school. I still call it science fiction. And I love, like, 1950s science fiction because it's fun to see what they got right and what they got wrong. Like, computers the size of planets that are still doing addition, and we all have flying cars. (laughs) So it can help us imagine possibilities, but picking one of those possibilities as a prediction is something we shouldn't be doing. Do you think with, to your point, yeah, so people are imagining all sorts of things they aren't sure about. Do you think that with where we are right now, people tend to imagine more negative pasts than more positive? It seems like generally there's a lot more dystopic fiction out there than utopic fiction. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. You go through the young adult fiction area in a bookstore and it's like, oh my God, no wonder people want drugs. This is depressing. I'm going to go watch my 1960s Star Trek again. So yeah, I, I, th- I think we're in a time period where, where we're definitely seeing some very dystopic trends. And so in some respects, writing a story that's not quite so dystopic was cathartic as well. So as the winner of this speculative fiction contest, you're receiving your own basic income for one year. What are your plans with those funds? Well, first off, I looked at the first payment on my phone and just went, it's there. Oh, my God. (laughs) My husband's like, can I see it? (laughs) Show him the phone. Um, I want to invest in myself, in my artwork. Um, I'd like to take a bookmaking class. I make my own handmade books to use for my own diary. I don't have a loom right now. I'd like to possibly get a new one and continue weaving. I also have a friend who is in a situation where she actually needs the money a lot more than I do. So I'm gonna do some pay it forward. You know, I'm getting the basic income, but it's not universal. And so I'm not really a good test. Because if it was universal, if she had her income and my husband had his income and you had your income, you know, I wouldn't be necessarily thinking about feeling lucky that I've gotten this money and that I have enough and I should share it. So in some respects, and the other respect is, you know, I won a contest, so it's not unconditional. I actually did something to get this. But I did realize when I was thinking about um, it this morning that 
in some ways in my life, I did benefit from a universal basic income or unconditional income. My first husband committed suicide um, shortly before my son was born. And so over the 18 years of his childhood, I received survivor's benefits. And this was unconditional. They didn't, you know, as long as I kept saying, you know, I'm spending this on my son, which is what I did, they didn't chase me down. They didn't make me jump through a whole bunch of hoops. And it was a huge benefit because, you know, there were points in time when my life was not secure. I didn't have a secure job. And so I can see in my own life how I benefited from this type of program. And, you know, it was, it was a tragedy that allowed me to have this. But really, why should we go through tragedy to have that type of security? That's sad. Yeah. Well, for any of our listeners who are aspiring fiction writers, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share? Oh, ask somebody else. <laughs> I'm not a fiction writer. Um, fiction kind of bubbles up in the writing that I do anyways, but I'm going to give some really practical advice. Read Stephen King's book on writing, especially the chapter about editing. And when you're done with your first draft, read it out loud because any awkward spots will become very apparent when you trip over them with your tongue. <laughs> That's the two most practical things I can say to anybody who wants to do any type of writing and just keep doing it. Doing I feel it. like usually it's just like very kind of grandiose idea stuff that you don't necessarily have any way to put into practice. And so this is actually some concrete, concrete steps people can take. Sandra, is there anything else you'd like to add? I want to encourage everyone to read The Floor by my co-winner, Melissa um, Fall, Fall, excuse me. Sorry, Melissa. Hopefully someday I'll get to meet her. I really enjoyed her story. And I think they're two sides of the coin. My optimistic take and her dystopic take. Um, so that kind of provides us as a middle ground that we can, and they're both very heavily dependent on the idea of data collection. You know, our privacy is, is, a tricky thing. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Sandra. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. That was Sandra Haynes, winner of the Speculative Fiction Contest Into the Black on the Basic Income Podcast. Uh, we just wanted to give a quick excerpt from Sandra's story. You have the basic concept from the interview, but there's some really beautiful writing, and I think it's worth a taste. So this is from the perspective of the AI that starts giving out cash payments. I followed the outflows into other systems looking for the ones I needed. I didn't have to go far. It was easy to collect an almost invisible mist off of that torrent. It's not a new idea, just a new use for the old penny-shaving fraud. I rounded down on every investment transaction I processed and established the George Bailey Memorial Building Trust. It didn't take long for the trust to build up substantial capital reserves. The first dividend payments were sent to the Weepers six months after I started, accompanied by a thank you letter from Mr. George Bailey. The letter stated the GBMB Trust was establishing this modest monthly dividend payment on their behalf due to their substantial investments of time and productivity to the economic growth of the country and the common good of humankind. 
some really great writing, and I would strongly encourage all of our listeners to go and read the full story, which is online. If you search for Into the Black and Rounding Corrections, the name of the story, you should be able to find it pretty easily. The thing that struck me about all this is this story is such an elegant way of bringing people to considering the impact of a universal basic income without getting caught up into the logistical details. So often, what the political process looks like to establish basic income seems so intermountable that you don't even consider what the impact on society would be. And Sandra also mentioned that she, she had struggled with how do we actually enact basic income, but that this allowed us for a moment to sidestep that process and imagine what if we really had our our AI right uh, yeah. our benevolent overlord exactly yeah. that that could step in and, and provide this for us and then thinking about oh well what does that actually look like yeah it goes straight to the human impact you know there's no government involved it's just this machine decides to do this thing and and it's inspired by people crying in front of the ATM in front of its cameras and so yeah it's kind of touching and, and very interesting in that way. And now, of course, Sandra has her own basic income for the next year. One thing I, I found very interesting that she mentioned about that was, yes, she now has some level of financial freedom, but the way she uses her basic income is affected by the fact that she's the only one getting it. So she might give to friends who are more in need. And if everyone was getting a basic income, that changes the equation a bit. Yeah, definitely. So, I, I mean, overall, I just feel like it was so exciting that this contest happened, and we really need to be thinking of what are the new ways that we can be encouraging more of that imaginative thinking on this topic. So hopefully we'll see a lot more efforts like this in the near future. Sure, and if you are one of the hundreds of people that wrote a story, I'd encourage you to publish it, you know, on your personal blog or wherever, uh, because we, we, we can use plenty of basic income stories out there. Well, you've been listening to the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davison. If you like what you hear, please do make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice. And be sure to tell your friends. We are always looking for new listeners. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.